1: and good morning welcome to the show of course it is hump day and that means uh danny ratliff joining me this morning as well to talk about all things bond related this morning that's right are <laughs> you know are you crazy buying bonds here that's been the emails of late um of course this is this is part of an investment strategy longer term and and it's always interesting because we talked you know recently about psychology and markets and, uh, you know, Im- importantly, this was this was kind of yesterday's conversation about psychology and how we approach things in markets, etc. And so, you know, markets are declining here. We're very worried about that. Russia, Russia, Russia. This was our story yesterday. And, you know, this is, you know, in fact, you know, just getting emails like, I need to get out of the markets entirely. I'm just going to be in cash because we're about to have this major Russian invasion, et cetera. And so, you know, be careful about this idea because again markets had a very nice rally yesterday got above the 20-day moving average now, i'm sorry the 50-day moving average so this is this is all good at this moment so right you know, markets are trying to push up here um you know markets uh, got oversold you know over the last couple of days to sell on a short-term basis getting a bit of a rally here so again you know the problem with psychology is is that as we said yesterday it can get you on the wrong side of the trade well that's the same idea when it comes to investing in, in fixed income in particular because Again, as we look at the world, right, we're making decisions today based on what's happening with the price of bonds. And we go, well, it's because of inflation's going up. Bonds have to go down because interest rates are going up. And that's true. And and bonds, as opposed to the stock market, are extremely oversold here currently. Um, so if you were looking at, you know, something like Apple, right? So so think about, you know, a, a, a graph on a chart looks at Apple and you look at Apple and Apple's very oversold. It's a great company. You know, it's going to earn money. It's going to do all these type of things. And it's super oversold. You know, that's where you'll be starting to think about or should be thinking about, hey, maybe I should buy some, right? Because here's an opportunity to buy some, an asset cheaper than what it was trading at previously. And it's the same thing that goes on with bonds because, Bonds right now have a very negative psychology. In fact, we have some of the most negative psychology on bonds, period, um, in history. I mean, very, very negative. In fact, the last time we were this negative on bonds was just prior to the Fed taper in 2018. And then, of course, over the next several months, bonds were some of the best performing assets. Again, this is the important point. So what would make yields go lower? right? Bond prices, now remember, bonds are an inverse of yield. So if yields go lower, bond prices go up. So bonds right now, three standard deviations oversold from their 50-day moving average, very oversold on all their signals. So what would make yields go lower, bond prices go higher? Well, that would simply be a realization that inflation is going to start to fall here uh, sooner than later, the Fed tightening monetary policy, or a yield curve inverting. Now, are any of those things happening currently? Well, we know for a fact that the yield curve is flattening very sharply. In fact, uh, just yesterday, had another big decline in the yield curve yesterday. Um, we know for a fact that the Fed is going to start hiking rates and tightening monetary policy beginning in March. Now, we know that. They've already, they've already told us that they're going to do this. And why did they do that? Well, that's to slow the rate of inflation. Aha! If the rate of inflation is going to slow because the Federal Reserve is hiking interest rates and tightening monetary policy, and if interest rates are tied to inflation, which they are, then what should yields do if inflation is going to fall later this year? If That means yields will go down because inflation is falling, which means that bond prices go up. So again, buying bonds is not always an intuitive investment right? But they do work like the rest of the market. They are affected by investor psychology. And when investors are grossly negative on something, that typically tends to be a good time to start thinking about adding it to your portfolio. Uh, you know, we talked about this in 2020. Late 2020, we started talking about adding energy stocks because energy stocks were so unloved in 2020. Everybody hated energy stocks in 2020. 2021, they were one of the best at performing assets. This year, they are by far the best performing asset. Now, those things are extremely overbought now. So if we go look at energy as an example, this is another great example of of psychology at work. If we take a look um, over the last year or so in bonds, sorry, energy stocks, energy stocks were very unloved, had a great rally, and then have just taken off this year in particular. So if I'm looking at energy stocks currently and saying, man, I want to buy those because they're going up, that's great. But you're way behind the curve here. Energy stocks have already had a huge move in the markets. And now you're buying an overpriced asset at a time when the Fed's going to be tightening interest rates and <laughs> tightening monetary policy, which is not good for energy stocks. That's They have the exact opposite effect because energy stocks in particular are tied to supply and demand of the economy. So if the Federal Reserve is hiking interest rates and tightening monetary policy to slow economic growth in order to quail inflation, then what's going to happen with energy stocks? They'll go down in value because they're tied to the consumption demand of the economy. So again, while it seems counterintuitive as an investment process, this is the thing to really think about in terms of bonds. Bonds are an important part of a portfolio from two standpoints. One, they preserve capital. two they provide an income stream, and three, they provide safety. They lower the volatility of the portfolio. So, yes, right now, in particular, as we were saying a second ago, bonds are under a lot of pressure right now because of negative sentiment. Inflation's going up. Must mean that we're going to have the spike of inflation like we had back in the 70s. We don't have the economic dynamics. And this is something we're going to talk about with Danny Ratliff here in a few minutes, is the differential between the economy today and the economy back in the 1970s when we had those surging rates of inflation. And those, that is a very, very different and important part of understanding the differential between what's happening with interest rates currently, which are really a function of psychology, versus really inflation. And again, there's plenty of information here going forward that deflation is likely, and this, again, we'll get into some some more of this in a few minutes, but one of the biggest risks going forward the rest of this year is going to be deflation versus inflation. Now, having said all that, (laughs) producer prices indexed out yesterday up sharply, right? Producer prices coming in. One thing to pay attention to here, importantly, is watching what's happening with corporate guidance. Corporate guidance is beginning to weaken, and it's weakening because of higher prices coming in. Corporations have now hit the point that they can't pass on those inflationary pressures that's beginning to impact profit margins. And most importantly, as we've talked about previously, earnings estimates are way, way too high right now. Um, this is going to be a problem here for two reasons. One, is earnings estimates start to come down, which they will, forward PEs, which has kind of been the 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 nirvana of the markets, is like, well. well, forward PEs will be cheaper than current PEs. Yes, that's true, until those forward earnings come down and prices, which really haven't moved off of all-time highs too far. I mean, we're down about 5-6% from the highs, not a lot. It means that valuations on a forward basis will start to rise. So, expensive stocks really kind of across the board, but again, there's pockets of value in the markets. And, you know, there's there are certainly some opportunities. Today, we've got some big companies coming out. NVIDIA is going to be reporting earnings after the bell. That's going to be one of the big stocks to watch because They are really the bellwether for the innovation, artificial intelligence, Bitcoin mining, um, metaverse, all that. That's what uh, NVIDIA really makes the chips for. So watching what they say about demand for chips is going to be very important about all these other aspects of the markets. Quick break. We'll come back. Pick up with Danny Ratliff. More on why are you crazy buying bonds? So we'll talk about that some more after the break. Don't go away.
0: news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Your retirement is another year closer. Will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one? RIA advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skid. in our next free Retirement Right Lane class, Saturday, February 26th at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice. Explain how you can make the most of Social Security and Medicare and how to Lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
1: hot! Mike's hot! <laughs> See, you, you miss all the fun stuff on the break anyway. Probably a good thing sometimes. <laughs> Danny, good morning. How are you? Very true. Good morning. Doing great. You wore the wrong shirt today.
2: You know, I was not going to make bowling this afternoon, so. I got you. Next week.
1: So, um, I started out this morning talking a little bit about bonds this morning. Uh, we're going to clip a set, we're going to clip a segment and uh, put this out, you know, for our clients this afternoon talking about, you know, <laughs> are you crazy buying bonds? This has really been one of the the big emails over the last few days because You know, as bonds go down in price, um, we keep buying more. And, you know, the consensus is, is, oh my gosh, inflation's going to the moon. Why would you want to own bonds? Well, okay, think it through. If the Fed's going to, as I was saying a minute ago, if the Fed's going to be hiking rates and tightening monetary policy, why do they do that? That's to slow the rate of inflation, bring it down, and to slow the rate of economic growth, bring down. And since yields are tied to inflation and economic growth, if those things slow, Yields fall, bond prices go up. So why would I not want to be buying bonds when everybody else is selling them? This is really, you know, kind of the 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 bigger view. But, you know, this really goes to psychology, Danny, about how investors approach markets. You know, and you know, we it's always funny to me because people talk about, oh, you know, I want to I want to buy value and I want to be a long-term investor. This these type of things, but yet, you know. When you're trying to buy something that is out of favor and unloved at a discounted price, then all of a sudden it's like, why would you want to do that?
2: Well, I think everybody thinks that because rates are rising that inevitably, one, you're going to hold these bonds for the long duration. Now, if they're individual bonds, and we'll get to this talking about the difference between an individual bond, a mutual fund, and an ETF and how you can trade them and utilize them differently. But also, there's going to be moments in time where you're going to be able to take this volatility and use it to your advantage i think that's what we really want to discuss today Mm. and then longer picture you know long-term picture here what are the implications to one to to bonds and and then even the stock market as well because actually i think if you start looking at data on this many people would be surprised as far as what those actual returns do what the timing and the time frame of that is Mm -hmm. and i think that's the big the big part of this right so Talk, I guess let's just start with just the really the basics. Right. So how, how do you invest in, in bonds? What are the different ways? And why would you treat one type of investment vehicle different than another?
1: Sure. Well, and, I, and I think the, the big part of that is really is twofold. One is what is your goal, right? And the other is is what is the outcome that you're looking for? And those, those are two different things, right? What's my goal? My goal is safety of principal and income that's my goal. So I buy bonds and I don't care what rates do. If if I buy an individual bond and this is the to Danny to Danny's point, one of the most important things to understand is the concept of how bonds work and the differential between the way you can invest in bonds. So if my goal is capital preservation and income, then I want to buy individual bonds. I don't care what rates do. If I buy a municipal bond for the KDISD school district, which is backed by the PUF fund, public utility fund. And it's going to pay me, I'm going to put $1,000 into this KDISD bond and it's going to pay me 5% a year on that bond. Then I'm going to make $50 a year in interest on my bond. And regardless, rates, if, if interest rates go, so when I buy a bond, by the way, I'm going to assume I'm buying it at par, right? Face value. 100 cents on the dollar. Bonds can trade at a premium or a discount for various reasons. Primarily, that's interest rates. And they have that inverse relationship with rates. Well, and, the, and the, there's a reason for that. So this is going to be a little bit complicated on to do on radio where <laughs> you're driving, but I'll try to explain this. If I buy a bond at face value, so so let's say Danny is KDISD school district and Danny's going to issue a bond for the school district and this bond's going to mature in one year, 12 months. He says, I'm going to borrow money from you, so from me. So I'm going to give Danny $1,000 for this bond. And Danny says, in one year, I'm going to pay you back the face value of that bond, your $1,000 of principal plus your $50 in interest. Okay, so if all things are status quo, right, nothing changes. I don't sell my bond and interest rates don't move. In one year, Danny's going to pay me 5% on my bond. Okay? Now, let's say in the meantime that interest rates go up to 6%. And I decide to sell my bond early. Well, in order to create a 6% yield on my bond, I've got to sell my bond at $900 and say $50. So I'm going to sell my bond to Brent. So Brent's over here, says, yeah, I'm willing to buy your bond with six months left to maturity, and I'm going to sell it to Brent at $950. If I do the quick math on that, that should get me to about a 6% yield because when the bond matures, Danny's now going to pay Brent the $1,000. So Brent paid me $950. Now Brent gets $100 gets $50 of principal back because it's going to mature at face value. So he gets $1,000 on his $950 investment plus – Half of the remaining interest payment. So another two and a half, another twenty-five dollars in interest. So should throw him up around six percent yield, give or take. But that's why bond prices adjust only for the transactional basis of selling bonds before maturity. If you hold a bond until maturity, you're gonna get all your money back plus your interest. That's the goal of owning a bond. Doesn't matter. Interest rates could go to the moon, and Danny's still gonna pay you back a thousand dollars at face value, even though. The day before that bond matures, it's going to be trading at 60 cents on the dollar because interest rates have gone up 10%, right? Whatever. Be ridiculous. But on maturity day, it pays you 100 cents on the dollar. That's why you own bonds. And this is why, particularly, you own treasury bonds because treasury bonds are guaranteed by the government. The government's always going to pay you back because they have this little cool thing in the basement called a printing press and they can print money as they need in order to pay back your debt. So that's why you always don't, that's why treasury bonds are considered to be risk free. Now, so if my goal is capital preservation and income by bonds, you'll get income and you'll have protection of principal. Now, problem is is that you won't outpace the rate of inflation at the current point. Right? that's the other that's
2: the other you know issue the 4% rule is now dead. Well, that, <laughs> so. that's right but the struggle here is is that so so let's take it on the opposite end of yeah. this you own a bond that's a long-term bond it's not going to mature for a 30, very long time 30 30 years. 30 years okay and even 10 15 and now you've paid a premium because bond and yields have gone down over the years yep. so you paid a premium to get this bond because it's paying you 5% mm-hmm. and now on the on the flip side of this as rates are beginning to increase, your value is actually declining. So I've seen bonds. We do reviews periodically you know, every day. And let's say that you bought 15 bonds. So par value would be $15,000. Right. But you had to pay a premium for that. So you, instead of paying uh, that $1,000 for each bond, you had to pay $17,000 for all of them. Right. So what's going to happen over time anyways, regardless of the interest rate environment, is that we know that's going to mature at $15,000. Well, when it re- when it's redeemed. So it's going to come down automatically. But we factor that in. So instead of your actual yield being five percent, it may be three and a half.
1: Well, and this is this is a concept that's crucially important for people. If, if if you're buying bonds, right. Never look at the coupon, the coupon you know, you can buy a bond that has an eight percent coupon on it. Right. Doesn't mean you're going to get eight percent. And, and what Danny's talking about is the difference between what's called coupon rate and yield to maturity. The only thing that matters to you as a bond investor is yield to maturity. That's it. The coupon doesn't matter. I have people tell me all the time, it's like, well, I bought this uh, 8% coupon bond. And I'm like, great, what's your yield to maturity? Well, it's 8%. Well, no, it's not. What and did you, you pay, pay for it? it? Right. Well, I paid 117 cents on the dollar for it, Ron. So I run the quick math on. I go, yeah, your yield's about 1.2%. Percent. What do you mean my yield's 1.2%? Percent? Because that 17 cents in premium, when the bond matures, will mature at face value. So you're going to lose 17 cents on the dollar for that bond when it matures, but you will have gotten all the interest payments coming in. And people go, well, why would I pay for a premium bond? Because it doesn't matter. The reason is, is that's all factored into the yield of maturity. So if your yield of maturity is acceptable for you, I'm buying a bond because my yield of maturity is three and a half percent on this bond, whatever it is, and I'm okay with that, that's fine. The differential between the principal value maturing at face value is irrelevant because the interest stream that you're getting, you're still going to get those 8% coupon payments right until it matures but a big chunk of those, those premium, those eight percent coupons are gonna go back to repaying that premium value that you paid for the bond. So don't worry about coupon. Always focus on yield and maturity because that's the most important thing for you as a bond investor. Now, all this that we're talking about goes out the window the moment you buy an ETF or a mutual fund. And this is the second part of this equation. We said the first part was if you're buying bonds for capital preservation and income, buy buy individual bonds. And just understand the rules of the road.
2: You're going to hold it till maturity, and all you're going to get is yield to maturity. That's it. And if you look at your statement and you've bought it at a premium, you will see that, that statement value will decline. But we factored that in, so you should know mm-hmm. exactly what you're getting. You're not getting that 8% in your last example. Right. You're getting the 65 Whatever, and that's okay. Yeah, whatever it may be, it's all part of it. Now, if you're buying bonds for investment
1: purposes, and what I mean by this is lowering portfolio volatility, creating income, and you know, making a bet on the direction of interest rates, then you can use ETFs or mutual funds. ETFs and mutual funds do not mature at face value; they are totally subject to what's happening with with markets and interest rates and if the value of your mutual fund is declining because interest rates are going up that's what you're going to get back if you sell it that's it right there is no principal preservation there in a mutual fund in a bond fund or an etf so do not buy them when you put those in your portfolio don't sit there and go well i've got 40 percent of my portfolio in bonds i'm good no you're not you're now subject to the directional move of interest rates, bond funds and bond ETFs are no different than how you treat stocks in an equity portfolio. And we'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away.
0: Investment Advice Blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at RealInvestmentAdvice.com. Your retirement is another year closer. Will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one? RIA advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skid. In our next free retirement right lane class, Saturday, February 26th, at the Embassy Suites Houston, Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice. Explain how you can make the most of social. Security and Medicare, and how to lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
1: And welcome back to the show this morning. Danny Radliff joining me uh Talking a little bit about a boring subject this morning, but it's important because we get a lot of questions on bonds, you know, why we're buying bonds. We've been buying bonds fairly aggressively here over the last month because, again, we're just to the point of that cycle where we're preparing for the next phase, which is the Fed tightening monetary policy and hiking rates. And, yes, it, it would seem counterintuitive. Well, if the Fed's hiking rates, that means interest rates will go up. That's not the way it works. Um historically going back, the reason, and again, you just have to think about the dynamics of all this together, interest rates have a very high correlation to the direction of inflation and economic growth, as it should, right? Interest rates are the rate charged for somebody to loan money. And if I'm going to loan Danny money... I've got to factor in a few things i've got to factor in the rate of inflation and is the money that i'm going to get back going to outpace the rate of inflation over the short term the other factor i've got to factor back in is is danny
2: going to pay me back
1: <laughs> that's the other that's the other big issue right that's and, and then of course default risk credit risk all those type of things okay so If inflation is going up, interest rates should, in theory, track interest rates higher, which they are currently. Interest rates are going up. Bond prices are going down because inflation is going up, right? We just printed 7.5% inflation. So, you know, interest rates are at 2%. See, something's not right there. Um, But the Fed is about to start hiking rates. On their end. So the Fed's going to tighten monetary policy. They're going to reduce liquidity. They're going to reduce their balance sheet. They're going to stop buying bonds at the rate, well, they're already slowing that down already. They're only doing 20 billion now. Still doing it, but only down to 20 billion from 120 billion. And this is why the market's struggling, by the way, is because there's less liquidity coming into the markets. And they're going to start hiking rates. So if they're hiking rates, the goal there is is for them to slow the rate of inflation, right? Why do the Fed hike rates? Well, it's to bring inflation down, okay? So if inflation is coming down, what happens to interest rates? Interest rates track inflation. So if I'm buying them in advance of inflation and interest rates coming down ultimately, then, you know, my bond prices will go up. I want to buy them cheap. I don't want to buy them after the fact because then I'll be overpaying for them. You know, but this is where we left off in the last segment. If I'm buying them for capital preservation and income, just by the individual bond, don't worry about anything else, go home. It's fine. If I'm buying them as part of a portfolio strategy, in other words, if I'm buying an ETF or a mutual fund, I am solely betting on the direction of interest rates the price, and, and the price thereof. So, therefore, it is, for all intents and purposes – the same as an equity bet, and I treat it exactly the same. I have a stop loss. I've got points to where I will buy things that are oversold. I will sell them when they're overbought. I treat it just like I treat any other equity in my portfolio because it has no maturity value. Once I buy an ETF or once I buy a mutual fund, the maturity and safety of principal basis of owning a bond is gone. You are strictly playing the price of the investment it is an equity for all intents and purposes and so you treat it as such stop losses sizing in a portfolio risk management rules all apply to bond ETFs and bond mutual funds just like they apply to an equity and so again with bond prices extremely oversold here we're buying bonds because they're cheap and when the psychology rotates in the market, we have a – and again, you just saw this the other day. When the news of the headline that Russia was about to invade the Ukraine any moment, bonds had a 5% up day, right? Bonds are a risk-off trade. So if the market becomes under pressure because of the Fed tightening rates – and hiking interest rates and tightening policy reducing qe you have economic slowdown you've got any other type of issue in the market when money rotates to safety it will rotate to treasury bonds and that's why we're buying tlt which is a longer duration
2: bond fund yeah so so full disclosure we own TFLO, tlt ief but we own them for different reasons and one thing i think that the individual investor needs to think if you're going to go out and invest in bonds right now if you buy a mutual fund you're going to need to be sensitive and, and be concerned with what is the duration on this, especially if you're buying something that you may not get in and out of as quickly as you'd like, because mutual funds do trade at the end of each day. So if you have a duration of, say, five, which would be an intermediate. Five years. Five years, correct. So that would be the level of sensitivity to interest rate changes. So if rates go up by one full percent, that bond fund will likely dip by five percent. So there could be some volatility in an investment class that has historically been known for being a little bit safer, we've seen rates that have continuously gone down, now we're in a diff- little bit different environment. So you'd say, well, why would we buy something like this if we think rates are going to rise? Well, let's say rise, they've been relatively range-bound. So even last year, if we look at the, some of the indexes, they were down. Mm-hmm. We were able to, to capture some additional upside by trading them within their ranges. So what we mean by that is, so like TLT, for instance, we would purchase that as bonds or as rates would become very overdone. You may say, well, how do we know they're overdone? Well, if you look at technical indicators, you look at some charts. There's another. There's other factors as well. But we want to look at all these things and say, okay, where's there going to be opportunity? So, as we do that, we may go very long in duration. TLT is extremely sensitive to to interest rate changes. But what will likely happen is, as we see them rise, they'll typically take a breather. They'll come down 20, 30, 40 basis points, and that provides a nice opportunity historically to to unload those longer-duration positions, go short in duration or go to cash, and then you can repeat the process later. And so I think one big thing when we talk about, especially like what Lance was referring to as ETFs, was that we're looking at this on a, you know, we're looking at long-term factors, but these are shorter-term investments in that regard to try to take advantage of an asset class that has been rather volatile. I think that's one of the important things to remember is that, look, there's going to be times that we may be a little bit early the game, that rates continue to rise, but we're taking bite-sized chunks. And this is where it's really important as we're building into a position that we can we can utilize and take to our advantage these higher rates. Now, there's going to be times we may end up just getting stopped out. Well, we're, we can revisit that later. We're not afraid to go back to a position later on. And I think everybody should should feel the exact same way. There's going to be times when all of these different types of investments will be good. It just may not be today. And so I think it's really important to understand the dynamics of a fixed income, how they work, the impact. If you're owning individual bonds, you're going to see your, your portfolio value on that portion of your account go down anyways, likely if you paid a premium for them, regardless of what interest rates are doing. But we know at the end of the day, what exactly you, you will get from that. And we wouldn't sell those right now, even though you have a, you're probably still sitting at a fairly nice premium because you can't turn around and find anything else. That's, that's even close without taking a ton of risk to find that same type of yield. And that's a big factor for an individual bondholder. But mutual funds and ETFs, we have the flexibility and the ability to get in and out much easier, much quicker. We can trade them. Um, there's not the cost of entry, so to speak, like an individual bond would typically have, a markup from a, from a broker, things of that nature. So all things to keep in mind when we talk about the big picture of fixed income investing. We are not saying that rates are not rising. Now we don't think they're going to go super high. We don't think that we're nineteen. You know the Carter Reagan days and Paul Volcker, Alan Greenspan. We don't. We don't think we're there. We don't think we will get there. Monetary tools policy has changed significantly. Um, yeah. Economy, correct. And, and I think that's a big factor too. And I think we could even segue this into market returns because everybody's thinking, oh my goodness, they're they're raising rates. Historically, a rising rate environment is actually good. Because that means the economy is running on all cylinders. Unfortunately, we've been artificially stimulated for the last two years. And and now the economy is going to have to stay on its own two feet, which is going to be a big difference. Right. Well, I think it's interesting. There was a
1: survey out this morning by asset managers. And the number of asset managers that think we're in a late-stage economic cycle is surging right now. And that's interesting considering that we just came out of a recession in tw- March of 2020, right? So. We had one of the we had one of the shortest recessions in history. It lasted three months. <laughs> and but it was a recession nonetheless. And yes, it was artificially induced, a whole night or But to already be in a late stage cycle suggests that that recession that we had didn't reverse any of the excess buildup. Why do you have recessions? Recessions are a reversal of the excesses that build up in an economy previous to the recession. And, again, those things eventually have to reverse. You know, prices have to come back to normal, those type of things. So every indication is is that we're likely to be in a recession sooner than later. And, by the way, another really good reason to own bonds is when you're in a recession because interest rates fall. So, again, these are all kind of big factors. But, you know, when we come back from the break, Danny, you know, I want to touch on that point a little bit more in detail about, you know, today versus the Carter years because we have a lot of of email questions about this like oh you know we're going back to the inflation of the 70s you know oil prices are going to $150 a barrel blah 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 okay maybe but what happened last time and we'll talk about a little bit of history and the differences between the Carter years and the Biden years when we come back from the break but in the meantime if you have questions be sure and get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com send us a question daniel happy to email you just there's a big box right there on the web page just says ask a question <laughs> can't miss it uh but send us a question if you got a question we're always happy to answer it for you but when we come back like i said let's talk a little bit about history um you know and and the differences between the economy today and the economy then and what the outcomes will likely be don't go away
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Your retirement is another year closer. Will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one? RIA advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skid in our next free Retirement Right Lane class, Saturday, February 26th, at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice. Explain how you can make the most of Social Security and Medicare, and how to lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com The Real Investment Show
1: And welcome back to the show this morning. Carter years Danny, you remember Carter years?
2: Well, no. I'm not even sure that you I weren't was even a alive. Glimmer <laughs> in my parents' eye at that point.
1: <laughs> How old are you now?
2: Forty. Yeah,
1: he's firmly in the Gen X camp, mm, right? Yeah. <laughs> but he's still he's still part of the group of individuals that grew up drinking out of garden hoses, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Jumping true. jumping trash cans with your bicycle riding your bike no helmets, dark. no helmets yeah right. you had to be home by the time the street light came on right. that was the only rule yeah you know and if you had a grievance with somebody you settled it behind the school you duked it out exactly a couple, couple of bloody noses <laughs> saw and you were friends afterwards right i just mean rub just rub some dirt on it exactly walk it off so the last of the the last of the breed right <laughs> I'm one. I'm I'm Brent and I. Unfortunately, are one generation prior to that. I'm right on the tail end. I'm ac- I'm actually just right on that cusp of Gen X baby boomer. Yeah, I'm just like three months differential. So well, I'm solidly entrenched. <laughs> you're solidly <laughs> entrenched in the boomer cycle. <laughs> yeah. But if you remember, you know uh, the '70s, and back then, you know this was a point in time, and and Brent will remember this is that. You know, you used to have to wait in line to get gas at the gas station. And there was the long lines and gas, you know, gas was what, a $1.30 a gallon at that point. Was this when they would wash your windshield off for you to exactly. check your oil and the air pressure? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You had full service gas stations. Back in the day, kids. Back in the day. But, you know, this was a point in time where we were like, oh, my gosh, we have this raging inflation. And, yes, inflation was surging because of the oil embargo, but it was temporary. When the oil embargo resolved itself, inflation fell. Now Paul Volcker made a mistake, and nobody really goes back and looks at, at Paul Volcker. I think I'm the only one that claims he made a mistake. But prior to nineteen, prior to that point, 1978, 79, 80, where we broke the back of inflation, right? And everybody, everybody held Reagan and Volcker for breaking the back of inflation. And yes, it was a problem, okay? But inflation was rising ever since the 50s in the 50s and the 60s inflation was rising interest rates were rising and the trend of those things was higher why was the trend of inflation and interest rates higher when we talk about the baby boomer generation being one of the greatest generations ever you know economic growth was growing at 8 and 9% savings rates were high debt per household was about 60% debt to net worth so Houses were not over... I mean, homeowners were not over leveraged. Households weren't over leveraged. They didn't have a lot of credit card debt. Most people, like my dad, didn't even have a credit card. They paid for everything in cash. That's the way they were. That's the way they were raised by their parents, who grow up grew up in the Depression, right? But in, but the economic environment was exceptionally strong. We were producing. We were manufacturing. We were growing things. The space race. We were innovating. And because we were the sole epicenter of manufacturing for the world after we blew up the rest of the world during World War II, right? We were having to rebuild all of them, right? We were producing blue jeans and record players and television sets. We made all that here. Blue collar work was an admirable profession. That all changed in the 80s when we began this financialization of the economy. Everybody's like, oh, let's give people credit cards right household debt today is around 130 140% of debt to households you know households are grossly overleveraged um economic growth remains weak despite the fact that we had you know 5 trillion dollars worth of liquidity injected into the economy over the last 2 years economic growth remains exceptionally weak and that just goes really to show you the deflationary magnitude that we have on the economy not to mention 30 trillion in debt versus no deficit In the 50s and 60s. So, the environment to create the inflationary pressures in the economy with subsequent rates of economic growth do not exist today. Wage growth remains under pressure, even though it's been coming up here lately, it's still below the rate of inflation. And the things that we do do today do not have the same economic multiplier as those activities that we had back in the 50s and 60s where we were producing and manufacturing goods and products. We were manufacturing stuff. When you manufacture stuff, it has a lot of inputs. If I'm going to manufacture blue jeans, right, if I'm Levi's, I've got to go get all the materials to to make the denim the dyes, the, the cotton, whatever it is, and I've got to take all those commodities that come from other people, which provide them income, I've got to bring it in, I've got to produce it, which I've got to pay people to produce it, and then I sell those jeans to wholesalers who then sell them to retailers, which creates job after job after job after job. If I'm an Uber driver, I pick somebody up and I drop them off, and that's where it stops. There's not the multiplier effect in a service business that you have in a manufacturing business. We're now 80% services in the economy, 20% manufacturing in the 50s and 60s, where we're 80% manufacturing, 20% services. That's why. So the environment is deflation. Brent and I are part of the deflationary environment because demographics are a killer. Danny's generation, with the exception of Danny, who has like 14 kids, is not producing children. The generation after him is producing even less children. The generation after them is producing even less children. In fact, we have the lowest birth rate in history in the United States, and that all started with Roe versus Wade. So when we go back and look at history, we don't have the dynamics to create the economic growth and prosperity that we created before because we've changed the entire economic data structure of the the internal environment. We have what's called a structural deficiency that ranges from productivity to debt. Therefore, your rate of growth can't be more than 2 to 2.5%. And that's where we've been trapped since 2000. And if interest rates climb too far above that, it will suppress economic growth because of the leverage. And that's the key word here is leverage, because now if interest rates go up too much, probably somewhere between two and a quarter, two and a half, three percent tops, you're going to cause an economic downshift because people can't afford the debt. The payments, et cetera, they go up. Already we're seeing an impact to the housing. Interest rates on mortgages are at 4%. We're already seeing attitudes in terms of consumer spending, consumer confidence dropping sharply. Housing prices can't afford them. Right? Mortgage went up. So these are all the problems that suggest that deflation is going to be the bigger problem going forward than inflation. The inflation we have right now is because we stuck $5 trillion worth of liquidity into an economy that was shut down. So you have a demand versus supply and balance. Milton Friedman once made the statement. We talked about this on Monday show. Everybody always quotes the line from Milton Friedman that inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. They don't ever quote the next sentence, which is that it is not unions or greedy businessmen or the individual consumerism that creates inflation. It is government debt because only the government has the ability to print money. And putting too much money into an economy, particularly when that economy can't produce because we shut down activity, is where inflation comes from. It is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon.
2: But then it gets even worse when all that money that you've provided the market and the economy is pulled away. Well, that's deflationary. Well, correct. And so that's why you look at all these numbers and all the data and- and Typically if you look at stock market returns they're actually pretty good when you're raising rates. Mm-hmm. This environment could be a little bit different. I mean, we never know. But historically the numbers are on our side that the market should do well. Right. Interest rate typically interest rate hikes precede though a recession. Right. And flattening yield curve we're seeing the 2 year it's flying up much quicker than the 10 year. That can be problematic. Um, so many other issues. I mean, a lot. Of, I love what you just mentioned. You know, the the history lesson from back in the '70s versus right now. You I mean, think about that. Made in USA used to be such a big thing, and now it's just it's well, you can't, obsolete. It, well,
1: again, you can't. We can't because we can't do made in the USA anymore.
2: Well, and you if know, you can, it's it's so expensive you most that, people can't afford. Well, it.
1: that's right because companies because of profit margins, right? This this is this is the bad rap that companies get. We go, well, companies are evil. They're wicked, right? All they're out is for the profit. Well, that's why they're in business. Mm-hmm right is to make a profit. And if you want $15 an hour and I can outsource it in, you know, Mexico for 5, then I'm going to do that because my cost of labor is cheaper. Greg Hayes w- when Donald Trump took over as president, I've talked about this before. But Greg Hayes is the uh, CEO of Carrier Industries and right after Trump was elected, he moved one of their manufacturing plants from Mexico to Indiana. And he was interviewed by Jim Kramer on CNBC. He says, Well, why did you move? He says, Well, that was because we have our parent company, UTX, has major government contracts. So we want to keep the government happy. But we're going to automate all those jobs because in Mexico, I pay $5 an hour versus much higher wages in the U.S., $15, $20 an hour. I pay $5 an hour. They show up six, seven days a week. They don't ask for time off. They don't ask for benefits. They don't ask for um, you know, uh, holidays, and they don't call in sick. They're a very dedicated, skilled labor force. I don't have that in Indiana. I don't have a skilled labor force. One of the biggest problems that manufacturers have in the U.S. is skilled labor because, as we said back in the 50s and 60s, it was you were proud to be a blue-collar laborer. Right. I'm a plumber. I'm a construction worker. Those were proud skills to have today. We we poo poo those skills and say, who wants to be blue collar? I want to work in an air conditioned office. (laughs) Right. That's why we can't recapture that inflation of the 70s for better or for worse. That wraps the show today, Danny. Thanks so much. Appreciate sure. you being here. Thank if you, you have questions about owning bonds, et cetera, feel free. Look, I know this was like a long little history lesson today on bonds and why we own them. You know, bonds are not easy to understand because nobody talks about them on the financial media, right? Everybody talks about stocks. Nobody ever talks about the value of bonds. but. If you go to our website, send us an email. Also, just type in the word bonds or interest rates in the search bar at the top of our website. We've got lots of articles written about why we own bonds, how bonds work, why bonds aren't overvalued. Those are all on the website as well. So lots of material there to help you out. All at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.
0: It's a rich man's world.